Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Tim Irwin and Dr. Olivia Abate-Ford, who are residents at Harvard Mass Gen and Brigham Plastic Surgery Residency Program in Boston, Massachusetts. Tim is a fifth-year resident. He's originally from Flemington, New Jersey. He completed college at the Grove City College and Medical School at Penn State. His academic interests include hand surgery, congenital hand, peripheral nerve, brachial plexus, and social media use in plastic surgery. Olivia is a third-year resident. She's originally from Old Bethpage, New York. She completed college at Harvard and medical school at Georgetown. Her academic interests include breast reconstruction and pediatric surgery. Tim, Olivia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Jenna. Excited to be here. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a broad overview of your program at Harvard. All right. So our program at Harvard is structured into an integrated track and an independent track. We typically take three integrated residents per year, and they complete six years of dedicated plastic surgery time, and then two independent residents who complete three years of dedicated plastic surgery time after their general surgery residency. We have several different fellows. We rotate at different hospitals across Boston, Mass General, Brigham and Women's, Children's Hospital of Boston, Shriners Hospital for Children, Mass Ioneer. So we get a very diverse experience across all hospitals and we take call and hand and face trauma. So we get a very diverse experience and a a lot of case volume. Can you break down for me how much plastics experience you get in the first three years? During our intern year, we do 10 months of general surgery and two months of plastic surgery. During our second year, we do about 10 months of plastic surgery and two months of critical care, oral facial uh, surgery, other plastic surgery related fields. The third year is then completely plastic surgery, as well as the fourth, fifth, and sixth year. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those general surgery rotations? In our program, you're really welcomed into the general surgery program from day one. You're considered a general surgery intern. You're included in all of the social aspects. You're valued as a team member, and you get the same autonomy as a regular general surgery intern. And so I know you already mentioned all your different sites. Could you briefly let me know like, what kind of cases or what kind of focus you have at the different sites? Yes. So our three main sites are Mass General Hospital, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and then Boston Children's Hospital. At all these hospitals, we do a a very high case volume and we cover a wide variety of cases. At Mass General, we do a lot of peripheral nerve and hand surgery, a lot of trunk and lower extremity reconstruction, and a lot of prosthetic-based implant breast reconstruction. At Brigham and Women's Hospital, we spend a lot of time doing autologous breast reconstruction and abdominal free flaps. And then at Boston Children's Hospital, we have a very unique experience where we have a OMFS craniofacial team that we work closely with. So in addition to doing standard plastic surgery on the pediatric population, we get a a pretty in-depth experience with the oral surgeons at Boston Children's Hospital. And so you mentioned that you do have some independent residents. Can you tell me about the relationship between the integrated and independent residents and how it impacts your training experience? We do have an independent track in our program. 
And I would say that largely the residents add a tremendous amount to our training as integrated residents. The independent residents are all general surgery trained, and all of them, at least during my time, have gotten their general surgery board certification during their first year within our program. That being said, these are well-trained individuals that add invaluable experience to our team in the operating room, in the wards, and then just overall general leadership and organization of the service. And so I've really learned a lot from the independent residents during my, not only my junior resident times, but also as a a senior resident leading teams and managing difficult patients. And are there any fellows at any of the sites? We have two fellows at Mass General Brigham. One is a breast and aesthetic fellow who primarily works with Dr. Austin, who's our chair over at Mass General. And then we also have a craniofacial fellow there who primarily works with Dr. Yuramchuk, who spends uh, half his time at MGH and then the other half in private practice. But they both have attending privileges, which means that they're junior faculty members. They can staff uh, their own cases, and in a lot of in a lot of cases, they they're able to help staff some of our chief resident cases, which only adds to our residents' education and very rarely detracts. And you mentioned a little bit about call, so can you dive into what call is like at the different PGY levels? So our intern year, you're in the general surgery weekend call pool, and you don't take any overnight plastic surgery call. As a second year resident in our program, you take buddy call with one of the fifth year residents. So about every four or five days, you have a 24 hour shift and you're partnered up with one of the fifth years and it can be a hand call or a face call and you staff your consults with the fifth year resident during the day, overnight. And it's really a great team building experience for the junior resident who's learning how to see consults, as well as for the senior resident learning how to teach and delegate responsibility. We, in our program, always get a post-call day. So the following day, that second year resident on call would be post-call and the fifth year is free to cover cases and, and run the service. Our weekend call schedule is maybe two or three weekends max when you're more junior. And then as you become more senior, it's maybe one or two weekends. And when you are a sixth year, you don't take any primary call. You're just on a chief backup schedule in case there's an emergency or a really great operative case that's happening. That's how a call schedule works. And what's the mid-level support like? We have great mid-levels in our program and we work very closely with them. and We really appreciate their help and value them. At each hospital that we work at, the main three, Mass General, Brigham, and Children's, we have NPs and PAs who help us cover the floor, cover the wards. And then in some of those instances, we actually have mid-level support for overnight. So while we're on call free to see consults and take patients to the operating room, at Brigham and Women's and at Boston Children's, we have some night mid-level support to help us with our floor patients, which has made things an even better experience. Are there any opportunities for elective rotations in the later years, either that you would select like within your sites or that you could actually go visit another institution for? 
we have an allotted time during our chief year, which right now is about two and a half months of elective time. And so that can be used to either go within our program to spend time with attendings or with teams that you want to spend a little bit more time with. Additionally, you can also spend that time going to other institutions and observing other attendings, observing other teams, as well as networking, which I think is important for the senior residents who are soon looking for jobs after graduation. Some people have also used this time to go on uh, global trips, including trips to Shenzhen, China, to Colombia, and Armenia, and Tanzania as well. It's really a time for you to explore new things or to do a deep dive into a specific subject and just broaden your horizons and create your own educational experience. Are those trips that residents usually arrange themselves, or are there any like annual trips that attendings always take and bring a resident or two along with? So there are a couple annual trips that attendings take the residents on to Colombia, China, and then also either Ukraine or Armenia. Those are the ones that are set up for right now. They were suspended this previous year because of COVID, but we hope that they're going to resume shortly. I think that we've had other residents who, if they wanted to go to a specific country, they just have to do a little bit of planning and get things approved. And they've definitely done that. But there's an ample amount of support within the Harvard system here that you can usually reach out for connections and get to see something or or go somewhere where you're looking to make a difference or you're looking to lend a helping hand. And what is the cosmetic experience like? So the cosmetic experience is really great in our program. We have one of the oldest chief resident cosmetic clinics in the nation. And so when you're a chief resident at MGH, and now we've also started one at Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is on the newer side, but we're developing it. As the chief resident at those sites, you are actually in charge of a full clinic where you see your own patients, you come up with your own plan, and then you can chat with an attending and staff it with somebody and then go ahead and book that case. And so it's a really great opportunity to kind of have a little bit of autonomy, especially in the most important things, which is patient selection and procedure selection, because of the cosmetic clinic that we have set up and the autonomy that takes place there, we really get a special cosmetic education. In addition to the academic institutions that we work at, we also have great relationships with uh, multiple faculty in the area who are private practice, and we spend a lot of time with them also during our cosmetic block time as chief residents as well. And they love having us with them. Many of them have been teaching within our program for for decades. And they love having the Harvard residents and teaching us not only about the operation that they do, but also how they manage their practice, how they do staffing, how they do billing, things like that, that are really important if you're going to go out into private practice on your own. Even as a junior resident, I think the cosmetic cases really start your third year. You get exposure to some of the private practice 
physicians in the area, they send you photos preoperatively. They want you to come up with a plan and send them your thoughts, your research on the case, what the patient could benefit from and how you would approach it. And then they go through the case with you, teaching you what they know and reviewing why they did what they did and reflecting on that experience. So that really starts third year and only expands, I think, as you get older. So when you do that starting in third year, are there specific cosmetic blocks or it's more like just once in a while, depending on which site you're at, there will be that kind of opportunity? I think it depends on what site you're at more so than a dedicated block. The current setup we have for the third year in our program is a several month rotation at the Faulkner Hospital, which is a community hospital associated with Brigham and Women's Hospital. And we do a ton of breast reconstruction there, uh, mostly tissue expander based, but there is also a huge cosmetic volume with some of these private practice physicians who come in. And that's where you get this experience with them kind of every week, the cases they bring in, the cases you review, and that's a great experience for us. How many months are you able to participate in the chief clinic during your sixth year? So you get two and a half months in the resident cosmetic clinic at MGH, and you get two and a half months at the Brigham and Women's resident cosmetic clinic. There are always two chiefs at each institution, and the other chief is the craniofacial slash reconstructive chief. And so you also have a chief clinic. It's just you see a lot of patients with more reconstructive pathology. You don't see any of the cosmetic patients. So there's two types of chief clinics, and they have a lot of autonomy. They see patients by themselves and then staff them with attendings. And there's always an attending available if they need help seeing somebody or or deciding what to do with a patient. There's somebody right nearby. I feel like I haven't heard almost any other program talk about a chief reconstructive clinic. Yeah, it's pretty unique. And it's always been the way that the MGH chiefship has worked here. So we used to only have one chief at MGH. And we've since expanded to two because our volume has expanded as well. But that chief used to do both cosmetic and reconstructive and see their own reconstructive patients in clinic as well. But now because of the huge influx in volume, we split that into two. And so now there's a dedicated reconstructive chief and a dedicated cosmetic chief. And it's been expanding even more. It's still a work in progress and we're still honing it, but it's been great so far. And in addition to all of that, you also have dedicated cosmetic block in the chief year. How long is that? It's part of the elective block. So the two and a half months, you could use it all as your elective or you can use it as all as cosmetic. It's up to you. And is there any experience with gender affirmation surgery? Yes, we definitely have experience with gender affirmation surgery and it's certainly growing. Most of our experience at this time actually comes from Boston Children's Hospital. They have a very robust program there, top and bottom surgery. The patients have a really great support network with the plastic surgery department, with social work, psychology, psychiatry, urology. They have a really robust program there. They also are increasing their volume at Brigham and Women's Hospital. So we get a fair amount of experience there. And MGH also does gender-affirming surgery. So I think right now the volume 
is increasing and is probably only expected to increase, but it's certainly something that we see on the regular. And how would you say your program manages resident operative autonomy? We love our program for its autonomy and its teaching. We get great autonomy in the operating room at every institution. It's definitely graduated autonomy because our faculty care about teaching us. It's a see one, teach one, do one sort of situation. Something that I think is also unique to our program is the teaching that happens within the resident classes. So I've learned so much just from operating with one of my chiefs during their cosmetic case that they booked that I was able to help out in or operating with a fellow who brought a case in the middle of the night for some sort of facial trauma. So I think the autonomy you get is very significant and only gets better as you progress through the program. I would agree. As a senior resident in the program, we definitely start off building trust and building those relationships with the attendings. And then as you work with them throughout the years, they get really comfortable with you performing the procedures that they've taught you. And additionally, I would say that because we have such an amazing chief resident experience, that also that also affords us a, a lot of autonomy and not just in the operating room, but also in decision-making as well. And so that's not to say that we make decisions without <laughs> approval or without attending input, but that says that we're afforded the ability to make our plans and we're afforded the trust to go ahead and start to enact those while we chat with our attendings. It's clear that our attendings are very interested in our opinions, plans, and care of the patient. They want to know what we think and how we would approach it. And they're very interested in coming up with plans with us to help us learn. But also, I feel like there's a really good back and forth that we have with our attendings. What would each year do in a deep? Interns would be doing a lot of observing and a lot of closing. That being said, I think as an intern, when you are on our services at Mass General and at Brigham and Women's, you're less likely to be assigned to a deep just because there's other things that are more intern level cases. PGY2s, it really depends because the PGY2s actually spend a lot of time on our home services during the year. And so I think it depends on how much time and effort you want to put into going to those cases and to building a rapport with those attendings. I know that a couple of our PGY2s this year have put in a lot of time and actually gotten under the scope during deep cases. That being said, it goes on up from PGY2 up there. When I was a junior resident, PGY3, PGY4, when I was available and able to go into deeps, there were times where I was afforded the opportunity to go underneath the scope as well. But I would say a majority of our deep experience is actually during our fifth year. During our fifth year, we've created what we call the deep fellowship as one of the PGY-5s at the Brigham for a two and a half month span. You basically do a deep every single day that there is one. And that can sometimes be five days a week. And those can be bilaterals almost every single day. And so I am actually in the middle of that right now. And it is an amazing experience. 
It's an experience where you get to concentrate on doing an operation that has so many different variations and a lot of decision making to be done. And you really get to hone your skills on the perforator dissection, again, on decision making, perforator selection, and then also on inset and just flap design in general. Once you start doing deeps and, and when you're a junior resident, you really start to learn that getting underneath the scope and, and putting the vessels together is really a small part of the case. There's many more important things that you have to consider other than that. During that deep period, our attendings meet us outside in the pre-op area. Many times we get CTAs on our patients. They expect us to have a plan for perforator dissection based off the CTA. They expect us to have a plan for patient marking and how we'd like to inset on the chest wall. These are things that I think are invaluable and our attendings really push us to have those plans and they ask us why all the time. We actually have to defend <laughs> what we'd like to do and not uncommon that a lot of the things that we bring, they completely agree with or maybe something that we bring up kind of changes the the plan a little bit. So it's really a, a great experience. We actually, this past summer after COVID let out, we had what we called the hot deep summer. We were doing about eight to 10 deeps a week. And that's just cases, not flaps. It was wild. It was a wild time. Sounds like you were really rolling in the deeps. Yes, that was another catchphrase. That's a really cool opportunity. What is the research experience like, both in terms of expectations and opportunities? The expectations for research are that we do two scholarly works a year. And so those can be anything really from a grand rounds presentation to a, a poster presentation at a conference to a publication in a journal. And those are the expectations. Starting your PGY3 year, you give about one grand rounds presentation a year on, on a different topic, usually an interesting case presentation. And so that counts towards one of your two. So you just have to figure out another scholarly work for that year. So it's really not too difficult. That's just to continue to go along in our program. However, I will say many of us do many more scholarly works every year. And the opportunity for research is vast within the Harvard system. So we have access to some of the you know, largest research institutions in, in the world. And, and a lot of our attendings have well-oiled machines for their research labs or research teams that involve multiple fellows. They have the opportunity to do a lot of the digging and data mining if you have a good idea and you want to pursue that. We also have our great medical students not only from Harvard, but also from Tufts and from BU, who will come over and work with us. And they're really great, too, and a great resource. I've worked with a few of them on research projects during my time, and they're really great. But that being said, I think, especially in residency, time is of the essence. So if you can partner with different research labs, research fellows, or medical students, and get some papers done together then it's really nice for both you and everybody else involved. And so we have that support here, which I think is really great. And we also have very diverse research 
topics that you can really delve into when you're here. At Brigham and Women's, this is just off the top of my head, but Dr. Orgill has a wound healing lab. Dr. Sinha is looking at muscle regeneration. Dr. Pomahawk was doing facial transplantation. Dr. Cardi is doing a lot of Department of Defense research with lower amputation amputees and upper extremity as well. That's a great opportunity for us to get involved in. I've actually had the opportunity to help Dr. Cardi out at MIT. He goes over to MIT and does surgery on goats as surgical models for the amputees. And so that's been like an amazing experience uh, getting to see him lead a team from animal research to implementing it in patients has been a real treat. That's just at the Brigham. At MGH, Dr. Austin has fat grafting. Dr. Citrullo, who works on VCA, Dr. Winograd, who has a basic science peripheral nerve lab. We have so many faculty involved in so many different areas of plastic surgery research. It's really whatever you want to work with. And additionally, I can't believe I forgot to mention Dr. Eric Liao, but he's actually the director of research for the whole department of surgery at MGH. He is a huge advocate for our residents to get involved in research, and he He loves to help mentor us uh, through that process. We also get funding to attend research meetings. So the third year, we get funding for the oral max face trauma meeting. The fourth year, we get funding for the micro meeting. Fifth year is AAPS, the association meeting. And then sixth year is ASPS. So we get funding and those days blocked off from clinical duties so that we can attend meetings, which I think is a great experience for us. If you have a poster presentation at a different meeting, you're usually able to get off for the day of your presentation. We try to make that work as much as we can as a team. And then usually whoever you're working with, you can apply through their lab for funding to go to that presentation. I've never had an issue doing that. And I've presented research at a few different conferences. Are there any other particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Yes, we get funding for some dinners and meals intern year a lot. And then throughout the rest of residency, there's always a late meal at both hospitals that we rotate at MGH and Brigham that we get a free dinner for every night, which we enjoy. We also get a bunch of food stocked in our resident workrooms at both hospitals that we work at. We currently don't have funding for loops or courses, but we are supported in our memberships for PRS Journal, for ASPS. So all of those memberships are paid for. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in upon graduation? That's a great question. I don't think that we come out strong in one area. And of course, I've only trained in this program, so I'm a little bit biased. I would say that we come out strong in all areas of plastic surgery, including, I would say that we are among one of the programs that has exposure to all the niche areas of plastic surgery as well. So like the cutting edge peripheral nerve surgery, gender affirming surgery, including like facial feminization, top and bottom surgery. We do facial reanimation. We do lymphedema, lymphovenous bypass. In particular, I would say we are very strong in microsurgery. A lot of us come out with over 
like 200 free flaps. And in particular, we do a lot of breast reconstruction, breast free flaps. But I would say the only people doing microsurgery fellowships from our program are people that want to be an academic microsurgeon. We've had multiple people take jobs right out of residency as microsurgeons doing microsurgical reconstruction. So it's something that I think we pride ourselves on and we get a really good training in. I would say it's a real comprehensive training over here. We get everything. And how would you improve your program? We are currently actively working with our program director and associate program director. Some specific improvements that I can talk about. Just in general, they are very interested in the residents' opinions, and we are constantly being asked for our feedback. And the program has, as a result, changed almost every year to reflect improvements that we have asked for or discussed with our program directors. One of the examples is our mentor and feedback system. Currently, the way that this system works when you join our program is that you're assigned a mentor when you're an intern, and then you work that relationship out, the two of you together on the side. And then the the way feedback is provided is through surveys online and through annual and actually biannual meetings with some of the faculty. Those meetings are great because they give you an opportunity to reflect on your experiences, areas that you want to focus on in the future and kind of your progress. But something that we're working on now is trying to improve that mentorship program and that feedback system so that there's a more dynamic and real-time way to give and receive feedback during cases or after a certain rotation. So that's something that we are actively working on. I would just echo what Olivia said. Now that I've been in this program five years, our program director has been very attentive and proactive in asking us for any changes and then implementing those pretty quickly, usually like the next year or the year after. And so we feel really supported and we feel heard. And so I think that's a really important thing. Off the top of my head, I really wouldn't change anything about the program. I've been extremely happy here and feel like I'm getting a really top-notch training. Can you tell me more about your program director and your chair? We have a unique setup to our residency program where we operate at multiple large quaternary medical centers. So in the Mass General Brigham program, we have two chairs. Dr. Austin is the chair at Mass General. Dr. Andrea Pusick is the chair at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And then at Boston Children's, Dr. John Mira is the chair of the plastic and oral surgery department over there. So they're a separate department. Our program director is Dr. Kyle Eberlin. He's been our program director for, I think, almost a year now, but he was one of our associate program directors previously and has been very active in our program. He's actually a alumni of our program as well, and he has been integral in, in making a lot of our changes to our program over the past few years, particularly switching our program to a one and five program. Whereas when I was a junior resident, we were still like a two and four program. And that's been a really great change that our residents, both senior and junior, have really enjoyed. Our associate program director right now is Dr. Lydia Helliwell, who's over at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Not only is she a great resident advocate, and some of us actually worked with with Dr. Helliwell 
when I was a medical student, actually, she was my chief resident. We know her very well, and she's very personable and always seeks feedback and is very active in, in mentorship as well. But she also is leading a lot of the work on medical education and curriculum development at Brigham Women's Hospital. And so that's actually her master's thesis as she's getting her master's in education. She's training to become an even better educator, and she's really good right now. That being said, all of those people that I just mentioned comprise what's called the executive committee of our residency program. And so they're the ones that are the leadership of our program, and they meet, I believe it's quarterly, to discuss matters in our program. And then on that executive committee, we also have resident representatives. So we're represented as residents, as a part of that committee. And so we have a voice in what goes on. And I think that's very important too. And every year we elect two residents to sit on that committee. And I think that's a great opportunity as well to stay involved and have resident input in what's going on in the program. Just to check, when you said two and four versus one and five, is that in reference to like where you spend the majority of your time on gen surge versus plastics? Yeah. So like when I was a junior resident, we spent a majority of our time during our intern and PGY2 year on the general surgery teams. This is a question more for you, Tim, since you recently successfully matched into your hand fellowship. Can you tell me about how the department and faculty supported you both in deciding what type of fellowship to pursue and then when you actually applied? I think the support that we get here, as well as the mentorship, is really top-notch. And so I did not come into residency thinking that I was going to pursue a hand fellowship. And I actually started off thinking that I was going to do a pediatric craniofacial fellowship. And I uh, aligned myself with mentors who helped me do research and guided me along my path. And then I think this happens for a lot of us. We get exposed to different areas of plastic surgery that maybe we weren't when we were medical students. And sometimes our minds change and, and we go in different directions than what we initially thought or planned. And one of the amazing things for me is that a lot of my mentor, even though hand was not their specialty, when I voiced to them that I was thinking about pursuing a hand fellowship and I was really enjoying our hand rotation and also, this may sound wild, but hand trauma call, they were trying to figure out how to best help me get into the best hand fellowship and who they could set me up with and how they could get me more experience and how they could introduce me to more people. And it's just really great. And then I would say it was a really cool experience interviewing for fellowships this year because I would say most of my mentors and the people that we work with here in the Harvard system, they're internationally and nationally well-known. And when you have those people writing your letters and when you have those people reaching out to, to people and introducing you and, and helping you network, it really carries weight. It causes some people to take a very close look at your application and to really consider you highly. And so that was something that I don't think I appreciated until I applied and started interviews. Long story short, I think that the support for any fellowship that you want to do is really great here. And like I said before, we have people in all areas of plastic surgery that would love to help you 
attain your goals for your career. And what kind of a role do residents play in department decision-making when it comes to things like picking new residents or hiring new faculty? We definitely have active roles in the residency application process. We're very involved with putting material out there to help recruit and get the word out about our program. And, and we always enjoy talking to medical students about it. We have sub-eyes who come to all hospitals that we rotate at, and we really get to know them there. And I think that's an important part to get to experience our program because our people are just so great and everybody is really friendly and supportive. And I think the team environment that we offer in person is really special. So if anyone is considering sub-eyes in our program, we'd love to have you. But in terms of the resident selection process, there are several ways that we're involved. On interview day, all of the residents are relieved from clinical duties, and we actually spend time with all of the applicants in the informal social interview setting. We're not interviewing them. We're not questioning them. We're just getting to know all of our applicants and then talking about our program really in an informal way. There's also several residents who are involved in a formal interview on our interview day where they one-on-one or two-on-one just ask more formal interview questions, um, still on the informal side, but that's an opportunity to have a more private discussion with some of our residents who are serving as their own kind of resident interview room. And then there are also chief residents who sit in with the members of the executive committee that are involved with the true formal interview process. And how would you say your program promotes diversity and inclusion or, and or helps you develop into a culturally competent resident? So I think that, I think that our program in general is always looking for the best residents, regardless of race, religion, ethnicity. And we we're extremely inclusive. A lot of our residents come from many different backgrounds and walks of life. And I think that's really fostered in our team environment and the way that our teams function. I think in terms of developing into a culturally competent resident, we work with basically the surrounding community in Boston, which is is very socioeconomically diverse, as well as has many different pockets of immigrants from different countries who then are cared for exclusively at one hospital just because that's where their neighborhood goes. I wanted to also talk about some of our new faculty hires that we just had a women's plastic surgery dinner this past week with one of our faculty, Dr. Kavitha Ranganathan, and her and, and Dr. Lydia Helley thought it was important to discuss just as the female residents kind of our experiences and create an environment where we felt like as a minority group in general in medicine or in surgery that we felt supported. So I think some of the initiatives by faculty have been very inspiring and are something that we'll be working towards in the future. And then can you describe the like resident culture or vibe amongst the residents? Yes, we are so fun. We love to hang out with each other and we work very hard. So we are definitely a group of not complainers. We really love what we do and uh, we all just really get along. I think it's a very big team environment. And I know there's a lot of 
misconceptions about all programs that students hear. And I may have heard comments about certain programs that I visited or pro a program where I'm at now, but I want to make it very known. Um, and maybe, I'm sure Tim feels the same way that we are just a very team oriented group. We really get along. We go out to, to for drinks and for dinner after long cases or on the weekends. We travel together. We spend time barbecues, meeting everyone's family. I can honestly name everyone's child and potentially everyone's dog or cat, pet. I might not know the cat names as well, but I think that we're a pretty close group and we're a big group. I don't feel like it's uh, too small of a group that you can't feel like you fit in, but I do think that it's a special group. And does your program have any experience with international medical graduates or otherwise non-traditional residents? Yes. Actually, one of our chief residents who's graduating this year, Lisa Ferrer, who's been just a workhorse in the, really in the field of plastic surgery and specifically with migraine, did her medical school training in her home country of Austria. We also have I believe uh, some new independent residents who are coming in who are from a more non-traditional track. So it's definitely something that we welcome here. So now for this last part, I'd love to hear about some of the logistics of resident lifestyle. So do most own or rent? I would say that it's a mix. Boston is a relatively expensive city but our salaries are adjusted for cost of living. None of us are living paycheck to paycheck. I would say it's kind of a split between owning and, and renting. Almost all of us are in apartments within the city. There are a handful of residents who live in the suburbs, about a 15 to 20 minute drive outside, who are in like duplexes or a townhome. Boston is, is an amazing city, and one of the great things about it is that it's extremely walkable, and uh, it's actually pretty small. So the majority of our hospitals are within a mile and a half to two miles, and so a lot of us live either right next to one hospital and can easily go to the other one, or we live smack dab right in the middle, like I do. I ride my bike everywhere, so it takes me about five minutes to get to MGH, and it takes me about 10 minutes to get to the Brigham and the Boston Children's Hospital. Living in Boston is really nice, and there are a lot of fun and different neighborhoods that you can live in. And if you're like my wife and I, and you decide to move almost every year, you can experience all of them. I also have a car. A lot of us have cars, so I cannot bike everywhere like Tim does. I love my morning drive two miles down the road, it takes me 12 minutes and I can park my car at either hospital. So a lot of us do that too. So would you say you have to have a car or it's possible to get by totally without a car? It's possible without a car. It's possible without a car, except for some of the senior resident rotations where we operate at some of the outpatient surgical centers that are like 15, 20 minutes outside of the city. I did not use a car at all during my first three years of residency. And I still don't. My wife and I have one car, but I still don't use it very often unless I am operating at the surgery centers outside the city. And what's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and or having kids? 
definitely an even split. We have many single residents who love to go out or love to take it easy. All of us love that. We have a bunch of residents who are married or engaged. Actually, two residents got engaged this past year. And then we have residents, two of them had babies this past year, two of the the men welcomed new kiddos into their homes. So I think it's a pretty even split. So what else in general do you like about living in Boston? I love the city of Boston. It is very walkable, easy to get around, as evidenced by the Red Sox hat that I'm wearing right now. And I grew up in New Jersey as a Yankees fan, so I'm just, just letting you guys know. But anyways, I think Boston's a great town. It's a pro sports town. It's a lot of fun because everybody gets behind all the local sports teams here. And it's a really great professional sports atmosphere. Tickets to Fenway and to the Celtics and the Bruins, you can usually find them or find like a discount through our hospitals. They're a lot of fun. One of the biggest things that I like about Boston is how it uses its parks and outdoor areas to really integrate into the city. And so I live right next to the Boston Common and the Public Garden. And my wife and I love to go out and walk our dog out there, put down a blanket and have a picnic, just enjoy the day out there, especially in the spring and in the summer. And with that also comes up here in the Northeast, craft breweries are abound. And especially in the summer, they're all over the city, in the parks and on the Charles River Esplanade. And it's just a lot of fun. Great to be outdoors. And the city really comes alive during the non-winter months, at least outdoors. There's tons of restaurants and bars. There's so many museums. There's just so much academic inspiration around you at all times. You have all of these colleges. You have MIT and Harvard. You have so many very fired up people in this city. It's amazing to live here and just surround yourself with, you know, what Boston is. I've lived Boston, New York, and DC, and I love all three of these cities, but I think Boston's unique in that aspect. And how are the winters? They're not as cold as Chicago. That needs to be said. The Midwest needs to know about this. It's extremely variable. So I've been here for five years now and We've had winters where there's been like one or two big snowfalls and that's it. And then we've had winters where it seems like the whole from January to March is one big snowstorm. That's probably the worst is when it's super cold in March and you're ready for spring. Boston can really disappoint you in that way. But I'll say this about the snow. When it snows here in Boston, nothing is canceled. So they take care of the roads really efficiently. I still ride my bike in the snow sometimes. The roads are cleared really quickly in other cities or other places where they may have a snowfall or two a year, but it like just absolutely causes a mess. This is New England. So that is almost everything I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the general process of choosing a residency? I have one final thought about our program that I want to get out there, and that's As of this year, we do have a formal maternity and paternity family leave policy in place. Important for me, a bunch of us, everyone to support residents who are interested in starting a family during residency. That process is eight weeks of 
paid leave and then an additional four weeks of family leave. So 12 weeks total are available to you to take one time before you graduate. And that does not delay your residency at all. So that is formal as of this year and our program is very supportive of it. And to be determined who will be the first one to take advantage of it, but I think it's important that it's there. And then a final thought about just choosing a program in general. Some of the best advice that I received when I went through this process was to pick a program that yes, you are going to get the best training because you want to be the best surgeon and doctor going to be, but look at the people and look at how they feel about their program. And if they're happy and value that type of relationship that those people share, then I think it's important to just acknowledge that because you you will have an opportunity to see amazing things everywhere you go. But I think the fact that our program offers the incredible academic breadth and operative experience it does while also having a very personal approach is for me was very important and so the advice I got was to really find a place that you want to live and and find people that you want to be around. For a final thought on our residency program I would say I couldn't imagine a, a better place to train the people world leaders and experts the hospitals also world and national leading hospitals the city is absolutely amazing. It's beautiful. And then, of course, my colleagues. They inspire me every day, whether it's just to continue pushing forward through the day and getting the work done, or if it's to try and figure out a new procedure or to finish a research project. It's really amazing the resonance that we have in this program and what they've all accomplished. So I, I love working with them and they continue to inspire me. The best piece of advice I would give to a prospective plastic surgery applicant is find a program that gives you a comprehensive experience in plastic surgery so that you can figure out what you'd like to do with your career. Because the end game at the end of residency is that you're going to go get a job, and you need to figure out what you want to do, and a program that offers you experience with world leaders to every uh, part of plastic surgery, including the niche parts of plastic surgery, is going to give you the widest exposure and help you figure out what you'd like to do going forward in your career and in life. And so for those applicants that want to uh, take a look at our program, I'd highly encourage them to visit our uh, social media account, our Instagram, Harvard Plastic Surgery, and then we're also active on Twitter as well. And our website is up and running, and I believe was just updated. So we have a lot of information on there for anybody interested in applying for a visiting sub-internship this coming fall. And as always, a lot of us are on Instagram, or we have our contact information on the website. We'd love for people to reach out to us with questions or if you just want to chat about our program, we'd be happy to. Tim, Olivia, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. 
We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.